Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Elroy's Fine Foods, the Uncommon Market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. A beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility, and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the Uncommon Market, 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. 
In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Clem. Welcome back to Contacts Coaching Podcast. We are blessed to be joined today by Jay Flores, assistant basketball coach at the University of Montana, Sacramento legend. Finally got him pinned down and on the pod. Jay Flo, thanks for being here today. Uh, thanks for having me, Climo. So let's talk about your journey into coaching. Take us through your background. How did you end up not in Montana? We'll get to that point. But being on the other side of the coach-athlete dynamic to begin with. Like you said, I grew up in Sacramento. Uh, I went to Jesuit High School. And then I went to Sonoma State as a walk-on there my freshman year. And I've actually, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, listened to one with Kevin Christensen and Pat Fiscaldo. And no Coach Fiscaldo mentioned me leaving. And he's been awesome about all that. I ended up leaving Sonoma. I still have a great relationship with Coach Fiscaldo to this day, but then I went to Chico, thanks to you, and I know I thank you a lot, but I couldn't get in touch with Coach Clink as quickly as I wanted, and you can put a phone call in for me, so I got to Chico State in 2008, and I think you can attest this because we used to work out in the summer times. I wasn't that good of a player. I just like really enjoyed working, and it just luck would have it at Chico State. I played for Greg Clink and Gus Arginal, and there's a lot of other good assistants there as well. But how I got into the coaching world is I'll never forget after my red shirt year at Chico state, I walk in the office and you don't know anything as a player, right? Like you just show up to practice and you think that the coaches, that's all they do too. And so coach Arsenal called me in and he said, what do you want to do once you're done playing? And I was young and naive. And I thought I wanted to play basketball for until the wheels fall off, so to speak. And I said, but I think you guys have a pretty good job. I mean, what are you guys just like sitting here and kind of chat and get ready for practice. Like little did I know like what actually goes into it. He said, okay, great. Like you want to be a coach. I think you'd be a great coach. And literally right there. I'll never forget. He pulled his phone out, made a couple of phone calls. He's like, you're working summer camps this summer. So I worked Cal camp. I worked that first summer at Cal in Santa Clara. And then I just started growing my camp list from there. So then after I was done in Chico, I got to play one year professionally in Mexico. And then coach Arginal got a job at Cal state East Bay. And I had a longtime girlfriend who then was my wife or who now is my wife, but she, uh, I didn't get to see her. And like, like, I knew that with my basketball talent level, I wasn't going to play basketball for super long. And I was lucky enough to get to play for an extra year after college. So when coach Arsenal got the job there, he said, I'd love for you to come be an assistant. And Chris Cobb, who works here with me at Montana, we always laugh because I didn't know like what the heck was going on. And coach Arsenal's like, yeah, I can get you $5,000 for the year. And you can make some money off camps. I'll help you however I can. And he was amazing with all that stuff, but I always say like I was probably putting in like 65 to 70 hour weeks and I made $5,000 for the year. You know, and then in terms of getting to Montana, I was at East Bay for three years, learned so much and had an awesome experience with Coach Arginal. And then Coach Cobb, Chris Cobb, who was, he's a Northern California guy, went to Bishop O'Dowd, was an assistant at Chico as well when I was there. He was here as an assistant. So I got on his ops and I, I've been here ever since. And I just finished season six already. So I'm nine years into college coaching now. Wow. Time flies. Um, it goes by quick. Yeah. No, I still remember being in the gym at early mornings before the sun came up. And now we're here. You got two kids married, been there coaching for nine years. 
I mean, that makes me feel old. Thank you, Jay. Uh, here's an interesting thing that you probably haven't thought about until this moment, but going from being a pro and playing to, hey, come work for me and I'll give you five grand for the year. And I remember those days from when I was at Davis and wasn't exactly going to help you sustain living for very long. But you know, at that time, you're all in and you can figure it out and you can hustle a little bit. But what, it, what do you think, in hindsight, were the biggest shifts or the biggest learning moments from going to, from player to coach? That's a good question. I don't know if I've thought a ton about that. The top things that come to mind is like when you're a player, not everything revolves around you, but you need to play good in the games for the teams to win. Yeah. When you're a coach, you need to help the guys play good in the games for you to win. So really it's not, and when I say it's not about you, I don't think it's about you as a player, but you really have to be willing to do anything, whether it's meet with a guy academically for an hour, make sure he's going to class. If you have to do the laundry. And I think that you just have to swallow your pride a little bit, especially when you're starting now, because, and that's what makes division two, um, you know, when you just don't have, I shouldn't even say division two, just jobs that don't have a lot of staff. So great. You just have to hit the ground running and figure it out. Your approach, I think changes a lot from just hey, let me go in and do what I need to do to, hey, I need to do everything. Like I, whatever needs to be done, I got to do it. There's not really, you know, the, the head coach needs to coach the team. I need to do whatever he doesn't want to do. I need to do everything else. And I think that is where a lot of players struggle. And I'm not proud of this. When I was in Mexico, I woke up every morning at like nine o'clock and then went to practice. Well, like the day's almost half over by nine o'clock when you're a coach. And I think that's like a huge difference, which is why a lot of players can struggle in their first couple of years when they get into coaching. Yeah, and what's interesting about that statement is what type of people find success and which don't, and what you think are the characteristics of each given how you just described that. But I want to come back to that question in a second because I want to know the difference as you see it now between starting your coaching career at East Bay, which at that time was rebuilding and going into a situation at Montana where they've been a traditional power in the big sky. How were those two entry points different? And what were the takeaways as you look at it from each of those situations for your coaching career and your own development and potentially things you can offer others who may be in one of those situations? That's a great question. And I think the first thing that pops into mind is when we took over at East Bay, we were lucky enough to inherit a lot of great people, but we're still like looking for guys that fit how we want to play and how we want to do things on a day-to-day -day basis. Whereas at Montana, this thing was up and running. You know what I mean? Like they, they had the people, you know, it was year three for coach to cure here. And they had a lot of the people that they were confident in. So at East Bay, I would like looking back your number one thing in, in terms is just like bringing the right people into the program, guys that fit how we're playing, what we want to do, how we want to go about things on a day-to-day -day basis. And then when I got to Montana, I think it was a lot different. And okay, like, how can I fit in? Like, how can I add value without just trying to collect people to bring to the program? You know what I mean? I, especially because I was ops. I was director of basketball operations. So I wasn't even doing the recruiting and you take less guys at division one than you do at division two. So it was a lot different where and it's not just about recruiting, but I think like all of the people, whether it's coaches, 
managers, whoever that you're bringing on at East Bay, it's really hard to have a lot of success in any sort of organization if you don't have the right people on the bus right away. So I think that was like the the biggest difference. And looking back, like we were trying to find good players and stuff. I thought we we did a, a, a decent job of it, but it's just so much different because your focus is like, we got to get, we got to get some guys here. When you say you were the ops guy, how would you describe the difference between the role of a director of basketball operations and the role of say general assistant? Um, well, this is what I always say. This is why I think it's not funny at division one, but like at division two, you were the academic advisor, the assistant coach and the ops guy all in one. And here you're, there's still a lot to do. Like we travel more and all that stuff at Montana than we did at Cal State East Bay. But I just think like you have a lot more support so you can dig in a little bit deeper into your responsibility as ops here. I was in charge of travel camps, academics, all those things. Well, I was in charge of all that at East Bay, but then I also had to like coach on the floor and recruit the players and get housing, like all the stuff that goes into a program, which why I would never, ever trade my time at East Bay in terms of a starting point, because I think it really changes your perspective on like the impact you're able to have with your responsibilities when you go to somewhere where you have less responsibility. I will never be someone that asks like, hey, coach, like I need more stuff to do. That's not how it works, because when you started Division Two, how many areas that you can impact the program in. Well, I think that takes me back to my other question, which is what characteristics do you think allow people cracking into the college game or hell, any coaching job for that matter to find success versus those that you've been able to observe that have had more challenges in the job? Well, I would first make the assumption that most people are getting cracking into a job as an assistant because I think it changes a little bit if you're a head coach but to me the number one biggest thing and whether you want to call it being selfless or having no ego or if you want to separate those two I always say like one of my strengths is I'm like very realistic I'm not like xenoing people to death right now I don't even hold a clipboard during the game you know what I mean and I think that when you can just like approach the thing hey where does the guy I'm working for or girl I'm working for need the most help like where can I add the most value whether it is, maybe it is like sweeping the floor before a practice. Cause at East Bay, we practice at 6.30 in the morning, my first year. And I would get there at 5.30 to wet mop the floor before practice started. And it's one thing our head coach didn't have to think about. Coach Arjun could focus on coaching the team. I always say it. And I, until you get into coaching, you don't know how little basketball you actually deal with until you start doing it. You know what I mean? Like I thought before I got into coaching that I was going like to be in the gym with the guys all the time. There's some guys that like don't even need to get in the gym. Like you just need to make sure that they're like turning their homework. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing is just the, the people that are able to have success. I think you got to go into this thing with no ego. If you want to be a part of a winning program. And I shouldn't even say that, but just have an impact in a positive way. It's like, you gotta be willing to do whatever. It's funny that you mentioned how little basketball you actually get to do as a coach. And Rich and I were talking the other day on our follow-up episode, and I actually tried to push him into a corner and give me a percentage. And he said about 15% of the job is basketball. The other 85%. He's the, he's, he's the head coach. Correct. He's the head coach. Yeah. So in that sense, how would you describe that? And what would you say are the things that people getting into the profession often don't realize go along with it that have nothing to do with basketball. 
yeah, if I had to put a percentage on as an assistant coach, like you get in the gym with the guys during the season, but the NCAA limits out of season, how much you're able to spend with the guys in the gym. I would say that's like the most basketball piece of what I do. Now, when you're trying to get better and improve, there's times that you see drills or, or look up stuff, or, you know, you read about stuff and you try to bring it to your head coach, but at the end of the day, he's got to want to implement it basketball wise. So I would agree with Coach Awitz that 15% for head coach, you know, we're less than 10% in terms of what I'm doing. Academics is a huge piece. Now, obviously I, sh- I take that back because scouting during the year takes a lot of time and that's basketball related, but like recruiting is like building relationships. Like it's not necessarily like you're like Xing and owing people or like even figuring out how to run practice or all that stuff. But I do think that the main responsibilities to go into it out of the off season, number one is academics. I'm very proud to say that Coach DeCure in his eight years here has 100% graduation rate. So we, like, we put a lot of time into that. Once you get in the off season, like you start to deal more with camps. Recruiting is obviously the biggest thing, but then there's other stuff. I'm in charge of like housing and like guys getting their applications in and all that here. And like when we're bringing in four freshmen next year, so like to get them all dialed in on that, like there's a lot of stuff that that takes time away. And then like one thing you don't even talk about is just like meeting with the players and stuff, trying to get them on the right course, understand like what our head coach is asking them to do and all that stuff. So yeah, in terms of like actual time spent on the floor, like game plan and all that, it's, it's not a lot of time. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I totally agree with identifying some of those pieces especially for young coaches as they jump into this. And often you think it's going to be about X's and O's when in reality, it's about program management and the basketball piece is such a small component that it's good for people to be aware of where those responsibilities lie. What would you say, Jay, if you had to reflect from a standpoint of culture and you look at your time at East Bay, you look at your time at Montana, you talk to your buddies that are coaching other places what would you say is the best thing that you do that is so important to creating the culture that you want, that it will always be part of any program that you go to? So you came from East Bay to Montana. Did you bring anything with you that was like, hey, this will move the needle here for us in regards to culture? And the same thing, anything you've been exposed to there at Montana? Uh, I've been lucky enough to work and play for like a lot of great leaders. And to me, just... The biggest thing that I would say here at Montana, and I thought Coach uh, Arginal did it at East Bay too, was, and it sounds like kind of corny, but like you just like love and care for the guys. And how do you do that? Well, you spend time with them. You know, a lot of it is communication is the biggest way to help them understand, like in terms of culture of like, if as a leader of the program, Travis or Coach Shakira and Coach Arginal both have the way they want to run the program. And I, I feel like in both instances, I have like pretty good understanding of it so to me the way that like you fight for the culture is like you're reinforcing all the things that they want to have happen and that are important to them and so a lot of times is is conversations whether it's calling a guy in going to eat lunch with him whatever it is and to me I think as an assistant coach it is my the reason I coach basketball is to try to deliver a great experience I had an unbelievable experience at Chico State playing for Greg Klink and I literally got into coaching to try to be able to build relationships like I had with my teammates and coaches at Chico and deliver the same type of experience that he delivered to my teammates and I while I was there. Or conversations you can have the more time you spend with the guys. And I'm not saying we're like 
the best in the country at doing it. But I do think that we put a lot of pride into it. And we had a couple guys that it's March, the guys are going to the port, you know, you get a couple guys transferring and all of them are able to come in and have grown adult discussions of like, Hey, like, I appreciate everything you did, but I'm looking for something different. And I think that's a result of like us loving them. It's not a perfect fit every time. Unfortunately, you have a vision of what you want when you recruit a player what you want, the type of experience you want them to have. When you have a strong culture, even if they're not necessarily getting what they want, there's no like that, like they, they understand that you still love and care about them. I think that's a big thing that if I ever am lucky enough to run my own program, I want to be able to know that the guys in terms of the culture know that like we love and care about them. Now, if anyone knows, like sometimes it's tough love. Sometimes looking at somebody in the face, you're like, hey man, like that's not how this is going to go. But when you spend time with them and care about them, I think that they're able to t- take feedback the majority of time. What would you say gets in the way of building that experience that you had as a player? That's a good question, man. You caught me off guard with that one. I'm still, I'd like to think young in the coaching world to me, and I'm not saying things are changing, but I think that there's a lot of the truth will set you free, right? If you are somewhere where, whether it's people in the program, your teammates, people at home, like people that are in your ear are not telling you things that are right or correct, then your perspective is a powerful thing. You know what I mean? I think that when you are realistic and can understand, like when you're grateful, I think in terms of understanding, like when people are doing things for you, no one's trying to screw you over at all, but I'm kind of playing here, but basically I think that sometimes people can get wrong messaging coming to them. And you really have to fight for that as a coach, because there can be a lot of different people that have someone's ear, have a player's ear. And at the end of the day, the only people that really know what happened in the program, the only people that really know what happened are there at practice every single day. So I think that is what stand in the way of a lot of people. And luckily I've been, been able to be a player and as a coach in programs where the leader is not afraid. And that goes all the way from coach Fiscaldo to coach Clink to coach Arginal to here to coach DeCure. They're all not afraid to tell you the truth. And I think that is like a really important thing. Yeah, let's press in on that a little bit in regards to the idea of outside distractions and noise. And Christensen wrote about it in his book, obviously, which you've read. But how important would you say it is to clearly and directly clarify? people's roles both current and aspirational in regard to shutting down some of that outside noise or at least the impact it has on your team not just your athletes but your coaching staff as well i think it's pivotal like it's vital and i think it's really one of the distinctions i'll make of what you said is equally as important is because i look back to when i was at chico state I used to dream about being like a really good player where when a lot of people would have like watching me play in high school and probably would have laughed in my face, rightfully so. Like I was not a very talented player. So I think part of what you said of like their role is right now and eventually what they want it to be. And like leadership is going on a journey and taking somebody with you. So like being able to tell them, hey, I'm acknowledging that's what you want. Here's how we're going to get there, and like, like the time frame of what you want. Because right, everybody has a right to be selfish in the sense of like what their personal aspirations are of like what they want to achieve. And Coach Secure says it all the time. From September to March, it's the only thing we'll worry about is the team. And then from April 
and through the end of September when we start our first practice, like we're trying to make you the best individual player you possibly can be. And I think that you have to be able to sit across from somebody and say, hey, I understand like that's what you want. That's not what's best for the team right now. I'm not saying it's not possible in the future, but sometimes you may have to say that. Like when you get to a certain point, depending on how long the person will be in the program, you know, how many years they have left when you recruit them, you got to be able to tell them the truth because when you don't, like when you say, oh yeah, then when it doesn't happen, that's when it starts to be difficult. That's when it's like, oh, that's not what you said. So it's really important to be fair. Well, it erodes the trust that you're trying to build, right? When they feel like they've been sold a bill of goods, when in reality, you're trying to position everyone to have success in whatever way that can be defined. We talk about everybody can be a star, but you can star in the role you have and you can work towards the role that you want. And not everybody wants to hear that, especially in a generation where the idea of delayed gratification doesn't exist. How would you say you have been successful navigating that dichotomy? And how would you say you failed? navigating that and what lessons have you learned through that failure? I think when you first start out, um, you know, I look back to my time at East Bay, you aren't quite as, or at least I wasn't probably as direct as I needed to be of like, hey, this is where you are. Like, we got to be realistic. Like the players at your position that you're going up again, more talented than you right now. So I think you say delayed gratification. I felt like when I was a player, like I was like pretty good. Like I understood where I was and like who I was and who I wasn't, like how I was going to, be able to impact a game. And so my failures, I would say is like to when, you know, not be, and I would say this is I've grown and I've matured as a coach. I probably was not like as, as not honest, but like direct with timeframes of like, Hey, like this is when you can do what you got it. Nowadays, I think it all comes back to being able to sit across the day. Like you're not working hard enough to do the things that you want to do. Whereas when when I was starting out, I didn't necessarily, I was just like, Hey, I just got to bring positive energy. I didn't necessarily have the experience under my belt to be quite as good at that as I am now. Um, whereas now like, I can be like, Hey, I, I get what you want to do, but you're not, you know, your input is not what is going to allow the output. And it's very simple. I'm not perfect at it. I think I still have a lot of room to grow, but I do think I've grown in that area from the simple fact that when I was younger, like, you know, there's times like, yeah, like you can do X, Y, and Z. I just think that I have grown to be more direct with players. Do you find it challenging actually let me rephrase in what ways do you find it challenging as a guy that was an elite worker but also very humble and self-aware i would almost say on the end of cheating yourself as to what you were capable of and like you just said i was just happy to be there and trying to bring energy and all of a sudden you're basically a starter your freshman year as a walk-on relative to some of what I would say, what I would call irrational confidence that some of our athletes and teammates and people around us may have today, or hell, even back then, what challenges would you say you have to navigate knowing where you are on that spectrum of kind of being on this side of the polarity and having to deal with people on the other side where you're just like, dude, you're delusional. It's funny you say that because obviously there's no one more important in a coach's life than a coach's wife. And so luckily 
my wife was a good player at Chico State as well. So I'll come home and she gets it and I'll vent about the day or whatever, of like things that happen. And she'll always, like she does it numerous times a year where she texts me. She's like, I'm not sure the guys will ever care and love the program quite to the extent that you did when you were a player. And it's always good for third party to be like, hey, you're talking about of like where I was like, man, I literally thought when I was at Chico State, I felt like I was Nolan Smith at Duke University. Like you couldn't separate it almost like to a fault, like where like looking back to being like, man, like I was really into it, which allowed me to a bit of the success that I had. But in terms of the hurdles, it is really hard because a lot of times, and when we go back and forth as a staff talking about it, it's hard to move the needle a ton in terms of care factor. You try to connect the guys to the program and to each other and all that. But like if in my life, I'm like laissez-faire about a lot of things, then to like really get passionate about the program, like you're saying, where it's like, hey, like I got to work, I got to do it. So a lot of it goes into recruiting of like, so you don't have to deal with those problems to try to identify it. Now, obviously no one... I shouldn't say no one. I don't have the answers for that yet to try to vet, to figure it out. And if you did, any organization that can is usually pretty successful to get people around that you pay about the work. It is hard to do though. It is hard to do. And I always say it, and I'm, I don't consider myself that old, but like I was 10 years ago that I graduated from college. After a game, if I played bad, you know, like the coaching staff would like not sugarcoat it for me, but they would tell me like, hey, we need to play better. And then I would call home my dad who has been a part of professional sports for 40 years. Like, yeah, you didn't play very good. And that was like, I never had anybody, I didn't have Twitter or whatever to like, oh, like you're the man. No, I, I wasn't. I was like, not good. So when you don't have like feedback of like, you got a lot of work to do, then it could be really hard to move the needle with that stuff. Absolutely. And I think what I've learned over the years is to work on my own emotional intelligence to understand the lens I see the world through. And that not everybody else does. And the most recent example is we had a candidate on campus and I was asked by the department chair, hey, what'd you think? And I said, hey, nice guy and probably can contribute. But asking me about the work-life balance at the school is probably the worst question you can ask me because that's not something I'm subscribing to, right? I'm a 10 out of 10 on there's no such thing. And I don't want there to be such a thing. And so I have to be aware of my own blind spots in regards to, is that fair to evaluate somebody else through my own lens and thinking of what my expectations are for myself? And so I really think that being able to harness that, and I'm glad Molly's there at home punching you in the mouth on occasion, philosophically to make sure you're aware of that because that's something I've had to navigate and as soon as I was able to to acknowledge that it's made some relationships a whole lot easier because it's the kind of PGC model of hey drop your expectations because as soon as you do that now disappointment goes out the window and you can receive people where they are and really take them in as the whole person they are pivoting on that and it's funny the way in which you just described your experience at Chico, and I would say this to anybody about you, is you are a basketball junkie in the purest sense. So I don't even know if you've ever watched another sport. But what I would like to know is either other coaches, programs, or not basketball, football, whatever, I'm not sure what the predominant sport in Montana is per se, but what have you learned watching other coaches and programs that that you've been able to steal and apply to your approach? 
Yeah, it's actually funny you say that because here, the way the offices are set up, I have to turn a corner where there's like two big windows to the head women's coach uh, for the soccer team. And I would say probably 90% of the time I walk past his room, he has most of the time his girls in there, like his players or staff members. And like, they're in there like all the time. And a couple of days ago, I poked my head in and I was like, hey, coach, because he's been here, I think, since 2018. So it's four years. He's won three Big Sky Conference tournaments. So he's been playing three NCAA tournaments, won two Big Sky regular season championships. And this has like really stuck with me because I'm like big on like, you know, like I said, the experience, whatever. I was like, what do you talk to the girls about all the time? You know what I mean? Like, how do you, oh, you don't even, he can't get any work done because there's always a girl in there. And uh, he's like, the number one thing for me is like, like the relationships that, that I'm able to build with the girls. He said, but every week, and this was like something I will definitely take with me. He said every week he meets with his entire staff. So like trainer, the strength coach, his assistants, and they go through every single girl on the roster. And they basically just do like an audit of every girl. Hey, how was your week? What's going on? Has anyone heard anything? And if anything comes up, whether it's like really good or really bad, He's like, once the meeting's over, I call or text the girl and bring him by the office and try to talk to him about whatever the issue is, whether it's good or bad. Like sometimes people need a pat on the back. He's like, sometimes people need to get stuff off their chest. Sometimes people need like a stern conversation with me. And I just thought, man, we go back to like the people on the bus, all that stuff. The level of communication in this program, it's not surprising that he's won so many championships. And, and like kind of, it's kind of what you just touched on of like work-life balance. And now I do think you're on like one end of the spectrum, which makes you so special, which is why you didn't know me at all. And I would wake up at the, before the sun to work me out and didn't know me from anybody, which I appreciate. I just like, he's just going nonstop. And I, I think that in terms of the type of program I want to run and just like his organization with his communication is something that has like really jumped out. And it's kind of funny, like the, the question just pops up because he just talked about it the other day and I was like, man, like that's a, it's an awesome idea. He's like, we, we try to go, go through it quick, but it makes a big difference in terms of like how the girls are feeling towards the program when I know everything that's going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've mentioned it multiple times, which is the relationship piece is super important. And that's one way to continue to build that. And there's a million different ways, but the key takeaway here for people listening is, do you know what is going on with your athletes? Do you know what is going on with the people you're surrounding yourself with because without that how are you ever supposed to coach them on something i don't mean to interrupt you but you said it before we even started right like a lot of times basketball is a secondary thing if you can get everyone on the same page then you're actually able to coach basketball if you can't then you don't yeah, for sure all right we're running out of time here but i got a couple important things i want to ask one what have you most recently changed your mind on and it doesn't have to be basketball related this could be something as simple as I used to think this, now I think this, and here's why. It could be about parenting, it could be about learning, whatever. I always think this question is, is interesting because it forces us to have a growth mindset if we think about it. Yeah, parenting-wise, I think the only thing I know about parenting is that I don't know anything about parenting. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not gonna give any advice on that right now. And that's a really hard question. I think it's a good question to try to wrap your mind around. We'll come back to it then. We'll come back well, to it. The one answer I would have right now is like, it's really hard to change people um, as much as, and, the, and I sound like an old coach right now, but guys that have been to numerous schools, like we've taken a couple of transfers or whatever, you know, it, and we've had some chances to work out well, but like, look at the landscape of college basketball before you're like, all right, they could help us. We've been to a couple, and our head coach says this all the time, they've been to a couple of different high schools and this is like their third stop. It's probably not 
going to work out. And I think that in the landscape of college basketball right now, it's harder to take more, especially at this level, like four-year guys. But I do think like your selection process, if you look at some of the experiences I've had, I think it, it has changed a little bit for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, this one's going to definitely catch you unprepared, and I will tee it up for the listeners that if you are forgotten, it's not intentional. Jay did not prepare for this, so just receive it in the spirit it is intended. So what have you learned throughout your career that you could name, let's say, a singular thing that you've taken with you from the coaches and mentors in your life that have helped shape you as the coach that you are? From each one? Well, whoever comes to mind and what are specifics that you can definitely put your finger on. The number one thing I would say is like the, the pride that Coach Clink had in the program is like the top thing that it's kind of what spurs me every day of like how he felt about the program is how I want athletes to feel like how he made me feel about the program is how I want to make athletes feel about the program. And obviously that's unique because I was a player at the time compared to now as a coach, Travis, coach DeCure's preparation is unbelievable. To be honest with you, it's truly like unbelievable. Like how prepared he is for games, like scattered report, like all of that stuff. Like he, he never wants to like go off cuff, like to where he doesn't know what's going on. Like he's very prepared. That is something I definitely will take with me. Coach Arginal, his communication and like energy level that he was able to bring every day. I think I've never been lucky enough to be a head coach, but I would imagine the hardest part of being a head coach is that you are the standard every day. So if you have a bad day, your program has a bad day. And Coach Arginal was an absolute monster with that. If you think about, yeah, like he, I could go on and on, but those are the main three that I'll just stop with. Cause I, if I start mentioning other people, then I'll just want to keep going and going. But yeah, those are the main three. Like I think coach Kling's pride in the program, coach Arginal's like just overall like energy and communication level. And then coach Shakir's preparation are the like three main things that I would do. No, those are great. And uh, like you said, there's probably a million more, but we might be here for about six hours. So I appreciate yeah. you, you doing you, you, that. You know, Climo, that I've never been short on words, right? Like ever since. <laughs> back in the day. And I do want to say this before we wrap up here. I would not be probably sitting here across from you as an assistant coach at Montana if it was not for you. Uh, you helped me when you didn't have to do anything. And I, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not like grateful for everything that you have done for me when you didn't have to do anything. And I literally think about it to try to pass it forward as much as I can in my own career, because you really changed the trajectory of where I was headed. Now I'm not saying I was headed in a bad direction at all, but I left Sonoma State. I didn't have a place to go. And then because you really cared for me, you helped me out a ton. Well, I appreciate that. And the notes you send me every year are always a bright spot in my year. So thank you for that. And while I do appreciate it, I don't want you to shortchange yourself in regards to what you've been able to build, both as a family, as a dad, as a coach, you know, all those things come from the grind that you've been on since you were a young buck in high school. Thanks for being on today. Appreciate it, Jay. And looking forward to at some point getting up there. Thanks so much. Yeah, come on up. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court.
Remember, go to ttroops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. <laughs> 